Jesus promised his disciples in Acts 1.8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Welcome to You Shall Receive Power, and here are your hosts, Etienne McClintock and Colin Hone. Greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning into the program today. Colin and myself are delighted to have your company. We are looking at day 36, and the heading of day 36 is Living with Christ at the End of the Judgment. And this is a two-part program, so we're going to do part one today, and then next, the next program will be part two. Now, Colin, I'm really excited about the study. It's a fascinating study, and it actually gets not only into the gospel, but it gets into prophecy as well. Yeah, we're going to talk about the judgment now, for many, the judgment can be a scary thing mm. because what does a judgment entail? There's a court and a judge and a, right. and a prosecutor and, mm. a, and a defender. And, but I want to give you good news. The judgment is good news for God's people. Wonderful. So I'm looking forward to getting to the Bible this morning. But just before we do, let's do what we always do and just pray for God to bless us and to lead us in our study today. Gracious Father in heaven, it's such a privilege to have access to your word. We enjoy the freedoms that we have in this country. And Father, we just pray now as we open your word for your Holy Spirit to bless us to God and lead us in our thought, Father. Give us a fresh anointing from above. Bless the person listening as well, Father. And may we have a convocation with you as we sit at your feet to learn from you. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so the, the judgment, like you're saying, some people are nervous about it. And I guess if you're guilty and you go into court, you're hoping for a lenient sentence. And if you're not guilty but innocent, you don't know how the evidence has been stacked and you're hoping to, to get pardoned. And what we're obviously hoping for through the judgment is with Christ as our advocate, and he's a person that's never lost the case, Yes, uh, that he will actually go and defend us and present us before the Father. And by us receiving the gospel and having died to self already, we can then be set free from the second death, which is the penalty for sin. So the Bible talks about two deaths, and this morning we're going to talk about the judgment because we see there in Hebrews chapter 9 that the Lord has deigned for man to die but once, and after that the judgment. Now we, who are looking forward to the second coming of Christ, are not necessarily looking forward to death and then the resurrection to be glorified. You know, some people have to take the underground to get to heaven. Those who are alive and believe, especially at the end time, are looking forward to translation, to be Taken by the Lord without having to die But I'm saying that in a technical aspect Because if we want to be translated We need to die to self anyway So there is a death And we reconcile ourselves to the death of Jesus Christ Yeah, we know that from you know, uh, Thess Thessalonians chapter 4 Where it talks about when Jesus returns with all these angels It says the dead in Christ will rise first That's right And then those who are alive who remain So those living when Jesus returns are raised up together, mm. and so they go back with Jesus and go back to heaven. So, but before this happens, because the Bible clearly talks about that He's coming with His reward. That's right. Okay, so the reward is obviously eternal life. Mm. So before that happens, there has to be a judgment. Before that happens, and the Bible has judgment right throughout it. It does. But it's good news. Now, interesting. Like we find that the judgment in Daniel chapter seven, mm. it talks about this judgment. In Daniel chapter 7 And we go to Daniel chapter 7 verse 9 And it says In Daniel chapter 7 verse 9 I watched till thrones were put in place And the Ancient of Days was seated His garment was white as snow And the hair of his head was like pure wool 
His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire, a fiery stream, issued and came forth from before him. And thousands upon thousands ministered to him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. So there you got it. The court was seated. Yes. So here's a scene of judgment. And then it says, and the books were opened. Okay. And the Bible talks about many books. Mm. It talks about the book of life. It talks about the book of remembrance mm. uh, and, and many books. And so these books were opened. And it says, I watched them because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. So he goes on and talks about this little horn that was speaking. Mm. And he goes on about these rest of these beasts, these four beasts. Yes. And so what you're finding here is there is a timeline. And then he goes in verse 13 and says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, where was where was the Son of Man going with the clouds of heaven? Was he coming to earth or where was he going? Well, it says he came to the Ancient of Days okay. and they brought him near before him. So this is a scene that happens in heaven. Mm. So this court, this judgment begins in heaven. And it says afterwards in verse 14, to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all the people, nations and language should serve him. And it goes on to say that this kingdom will be set up. Now, interesting, what led me to believe there was a God Hmm. and that God is the God of the Bible is because of the book of Daniel. Really? And Revelation. Because in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9, it talks about God making this big claim where he says, hey, listen, I am God. There is no other. Hmm. I can declare the beginning to the end. In other words, I can tell you what the future is. That's right. And so I started, I took that challenge. Mm. And right in Daniel, you have this, these prophecies in the book of Daniel of all the kingdoms from Daniel's day right up until the last days. There's a sequence. And if you follow the sequence, it leads up to when this judgment begins. Mm. And so we can know when the judgment begins. Right. So the... To understand Daniel chapter 7, you really got to understand Daniel chapter 2. Now, Daniel chapter 2 gives us a, a good uh, prophetic dream from Nebuchadnezzar. And then, of course, God, through his servant Daniel, explains, interprets the dream and explains how it goes. So these four successive kingdoms. Yes. And then there's a kingdom set up, which God sets up because it's one that's it's a stone cut out without hands. It then destroys and annihilates all the other kingdoms. And it says God then sets up an everlasting kingdom. So when we come to Daniel chapter 7, we see that the way the kingdom is set up and the subjects of the kingdom are made up is through this judgment process where the Ancient of Days comes. He takes his seat on the throne. That's God the Father. God the Father. And then the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man on the clouds of heaven approaches him. It says that they bring him near to him. Which is Jesus. That's right. And then through this judgment process, we see that he is given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples and nations should serve him. And it says then his dominion is an everlasting dominion, just as we saw in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, that this kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, same language, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one which shall not be destroyed. So what we see in Daniel chapter 7 is a repeat and enlargement of the information we got in Daniel chapter 2. They call it in, I think, uh, theological terms, recapitulation. Yeah, so it's like when you went to school. Yeah. You, you know, you, you do grade 1. When you get to grade 2, they repeat. Well, this is what we learn in grade one, but now we're going to give you some more they expand your knowledge information, right. expand our knowledge. Mm. So what's happened in Daniel two, when you go to the uh, book of Daniel in chapter two, what's happened is one night, it's about 606 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has a dream. Mm. This dream was different from any he had ever had. It was so disturbing to him that he couldn't even sleep. 
He called his magicians and astrologers and sorcerers and Chaldeans together to tell him the dream. They could not tell him the dream, and they could tell that the dream was vitally important to the king, so they told the king to tell them the dream, hmm. and they would give him the interpretation. Sounds like they were just trying to say, you tell me the dream, and then we'll give you an interpretation. Yeah. Many astrologers and that, yeah, tell me something, and I'll sort of you know, make up something. Hmm. And the king answered and said, my decision is firm. This is in Daniel chapter 2, verse 5. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut into pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. Well, this is pretty serious stuff. The king's just said, look, you know, if you can't even tell me what the dream I had and its interpretation, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to kill all the wise men over the Babylon Empire that yeah. was just very vast. And what so what happens is the story of the book continues and he's going to kill everybody. That includes Daniel mm. and his companions, which were these these guys from Israel, yes. these princes from Israel that had been raised in the kingdom of Babylon. So they actually went out and prayed and the God revealed the dream to them. And we know the rest of the story. Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar and he tells him about the dream. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 31 to 35, he says, You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image, this great image whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image head was of fine gold. So you've got this image with, it's got a head of gold. Mm. Its chest and arms of silver. Its belly and thighs of bronze. Its legs of iron. Its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And you watched while a stone was cut out with hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and gold, these kingdoms, were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away and there was no trace found them. And so, and that stone that struck the image became a great mountain filled the whole earth. Then he goes on and tells them, this is what the dream means. And so what he tells them is, well, this head of gold, right, these, these four... Uh, metals yes. are kingdoms. Mm. And he tells them, the first of these four kingdoms, he says, is you, king. Right. You are the head of gold. Mm. Then he goes and says, but another kingdom will rise after you, which was where he talks about the chest and arms of silver. And so then he talks, but then another kingdom will rise after that, the kingdom of belly and thighs of brass. Then he says, another kingdom will rule after that, which will be the legs of iron. And so this is in Daniel 2. Yes. But in Daniel 7, right, he goes on and tells them in Daniel 7, he repeats this, has another dream, but he uses four beasts. Mm. And he says there was these four beasts. And you had the one with the lion and two wings, the bear raised up with three ribs in his mouth. Then you have this leopard with four heads and four wings. Then you have this dragon type of beast with ten horns. Okay. Mm. And then you have this little horn poking up amongst it. Yes. So we just want to unpack this timeline because straight after these four beasts, or these four kingdoms that rise out of the earth, and then it says these ten kingdoms come out of the fourth kingdom, and then this little horn or kingdom comes out of after them, Mm. and then talks about this little horn ruling for 1,260 days or times, times and a half, which is... Same thing, yes. 1,260 days. And we know that a day for prophecy in the Bible is one day for one year. That's right. And you can find that in Ezekiel chapter 4, four verse 6. Yeah. And also in Numbers, hmm. book of Numbers. So what we find is when we do a timeline, the judgment or this sequence doesn't happen after this little horn has ruled 
for 1260 years. So the great thing with the Bible, it even gives us a starting point where we can know all these things. So let's just go through these kingdoms and see who they were. So who was the kingdom of gold? Well, Daniel said it was what? Edian, who did he say? It was Babylon. Yeah, it was Babylon. Yeah. So in history, when did Babylon rule from? Right. Well, we've got the timeline there from 605 BC, and they only ruled for a short period of time. It was about 66 years, roughly, until 539 BC. That's right. And so after that, and so that would also be the lion with two wings. Hmm. Interesting. That's what was the symbol of Babylon, was a this symbol of lion. Yeah, with two wings. With two wings. Interesting. So it's pretty obvious that was the next one. Then it says there was another one called the chest and arms of silver or the one with the bear. Hmm. So who did that represent? Who overtook Babylon? Well, the Medo-Persians did. And, of course, if we look at Daniel 7, it says that the first kingdom that came up was not as strong as the second one that came up. The second one that came up was stronger. So you have the Medo-Persians there, and they ruled from 539 to 331 B.C., so it was uh, just around a 200-year uh, empire. Yeah. So it would represent the statue's chest of arms and silver, and now was a bear with three ribs in its mouth. Mm. And Medo-Persia ruled from 539 B.C. to 331 B.C. Yeah, and we know that those three ribs represent, obviously, this person devouring something, and he devoured the three major provinces of um, Babylon, which was Lydia, Egypt, and Babylon. That's right. They were mm. the three major kingdoms. that, are, And it was... Leaning on one side, which represent one was stronger than the other. The other yes. So after that, who came next? Well, we have the, the Grecian Empire, or Greece, and that under Alexander the Great, obviously conquered very quickly, and that ruled from 331 B.C. to 168 B.C. So that represents the, the brass, th- you know, the belly and thigh of brass. Yes. Was now also the four-headed leopard with four wings. Mm. Interestingly, when Alexander the Great died, his empire was divided between his four top generals. That's right. And the kingdom ruled from 331 BC to 168 BC. Hmm. And so then what was the f- fourth kingdom that came after Greece? Well, Greece uh, was replaced by Rome, and Rome came on the scene sort of 168 BC, and that ruled right through the time of Christ, you know, when he was here on earth to 476 AD, when the western part of the empire actually disintegrated, hmm. as we see in Daniel chapter 2, where the the legs are of iron, but then you see the feet are of iron and clay. So that shows a disintegration of the, mm. of the empire. And we see that uh, here in Daniel chapter 7, it actually refers to ten horns, which is the ten divisions of Europe. That's what, so that's what happened. And so we know that So Rome took over Greece, mm. which was this legs of iron that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of. And also it was looked at as the beast with iron teeth and ten horns. And the great kingdom of Rome ruled from 168 BC to AD 476. Mm. When it then ended, the kingdom divided into 10 parts, as you said, into 10 kingdoms, which today would be the modern kingdoms of Europe. Europe, that's right. And in Daniel 2, those parts were represented by 10 toes. Mm. All right. But we see in Daniel 7, they're represented by 10 horns horns. of the fourth beast. So they came out of the fourth beast, these 10 kingdoms. So we can see that these two prophecies in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 run completely parallel to each other. Yes. But when the prophecy of Daniel 7 came to Rome, God gave Daniel more details than before. Mm. It talks about these ten horns of the fourth beast. And these represented the ten pagan godless fragments of the Roman Empire that became today's nations of Europe. Mm. Now, interesting, he talks about also this little horn that rises up amongst these ten kingdoms. That's right. And we see also that it 
because um, he was looking at these little horns, and he says, I saw this little one coming up among them. This is in Daniel chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. And he says, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. Mm. And there in, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Pompous words is also blasphemies, yes. words. So here we have this fearsome ten-horned beast, and a new little horn comes up in the midst of these ten and plucks up three of them yeah. by the roots. Yeah, and these three kingdoms we know historically because they no longer exist are the Heruli, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths. So when did, they, when did that happen, though? Because we can get a timeline of when that happened. We're trying to work out when the judgment begins mm. because it doesn't happen until this little horn rules in power for 1,200 and 60 years. Right. Well, so, the, the last ones of those powers that was taken out of the way happened in 538 AD. Right. And so I also we also know the Roman Empire ended in 476 mm, AD. That's right. Yes. You know, a struggle began to control the 10 remaining parts of empire. And one side were the three pagan tribes, which you spoke of, the Heruli, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths. Mm. And the other side was the Bishop of Rome and the emperors loyal to the Catholic bishop. One by one, the Catholic emperors overthrew these three rebel trials. And we also know from history that the Emperor Zeno conquered the Heruli by encouraging the Ostrogoths to invade in AD 493. That's right. So that's one of those ten kingdoms. Mm. And we also know from history that the Emperor Justinian sent his general uh, Belisarius to conquer the Vandals in AD 534. Mm. General Belisarius then drove the Ostrogoths out of Rome in AD 538. That's right. And we also know, according to history, that in AD 533, Justinian decreed that, this is the emperor, Justinian decreed that the bishop of Rome was to rule supreme over all the churches. Hmm. But this, his decree meant nothing until he and the other emperors were able to overthrow the three Aryan tribes of the Heruli, Vandals, and Ostrogoths, the three horns of Daniel 7, just like history said. Ex- yeah, incredible, isn't it? Yeah. So by AD 538, this was accomplished, mm. and the era of the little horn's power had begun. And the papacy, as we know, was this little horn that ruled, mm. okay, because it was a religious political power, would continue in absolute power for another 1260 years till the year 1798. And we note that this 1260 year period is found in Bible prophecy in several places. It's found in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. Yes. It's found in Daniel chapter 12, verse 7. It also speaks about it in Revelation chapter 11, verse 2. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. Revelations 12, verse 6. And Revelations 12, verse 14. And Revelations 13, verse 5. I think God's trying to make a point. And he uses 42 months, 1260 that's, days. That's right. Three and a half years, mm. a times, times and a half, which is. Three and a half years. Three and a half years, yes. And we also know there was 360 days in a Bible year. Mm. Okay, so when you times that, it works out to be 1260 that's, days. That's correct. Or yeah. years. And that exactly. So what happened in 1798? Was there anything that happened in history in well, 1798? Some, yes, something very significant happened because the, the Pope was actually captured and taken from Rome when he ended up die, dying in exile in France. So during the uh, when uh, Napoleon was ruling, mm. when he was uh, invading Europe, he sent his general Berthier, and he took the the Pope, capt- captured the Pope, and put him in jail. That's right. So it would seem like he was wounded, mm. 
this power. And so we've got history of this timeline. So we know, according to Daniel 7, that this judgment then happens. That's right. So the judgment has to happen after after 1798. That's right. 1798. Now, many people have always wondered, well, who is this little horn? Well, according to history, what we just read, the Bishop of Rome was given the power. Mm. The power. And there's also 10 ways to identify the little horn. And I'm just going to give you 10 verses and 10 ways to identify the little horn. First thing, number one, it came to power from among the 10 divisions of Europe, the 10 horns. Mm -hmm. That's in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. So this little horn had to come up after around that 476 to 538 AD. It said it began as a little horn, a little power at its beginning in Mm -hmm. Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. Yes. So it was a little, little power. Number four, it uprooted three horns, the Herali, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8 and 24. Mm. Okay, so there's clue number four. Clue number five, it had a man at its head, Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. And you can also see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, mm. it has a man at its head. Number six, it is different from the others. All the others were state powers. Mm. This one, Little Horn, was a church-state combination. Yes. Daniel chapter 7, verse 24. See, it was a religious political power. Mm. It says the Little Horn would speak great words and blasphemy. Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, and Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. So what's the definition of blasphemy in the Bible? Well, claiming to be God and claiming to have the power to forgive sins. Yeah. And we can read that in Matthew chapter 9, verse 2 to 6. And John chapter 10, verse 30 to 33, that blasphemy was claiming to be God mm. because they said Jesus was being blasphemous because he claimed to be God. Yes. And he could forgive sins. So this power would claim to be God on earth and representing God on earth and to be able to forgive sins. Mm. The little horn also, point number eight, would wear out and kill many of God's children. And we know during the 1260-year reign, that papal persecutions brought the death of millions of people. Yeah, were put least, to death. At least 50 million. Yeah, by the mm. stake, burning, and persecution. And that's mm. found in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. It says the little horn antichrist would think to change times and law. So he would think to change God's law or Ten Commandments. And that's in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. Now we know that the papacy notes that it changes it made to God's law in its catechism. Mm. So in the Catholic catechism, it says it removed the second commandment that forbids idolatry and changed the fourth commandment requiring worship on the seventh day of the week and finally divided the tenth commandment into two to retain the full ten commandments. That's right. So just according to Daniel's prophecy, it says he would think to change God's times and laws. Yeah. Well, there's only one law regarding time, time in the ten commandments, and that's the fourth, fourth commandment. Fourth commandment, that's right. Thou shalt worship on the seventh day, mm. and he changed it to the first day. Number nine, the little horn antichrist would think to change times and law. We just went on that one. And also, number 10, the little horn would rule for time and times and half a time. Elsewhere presented in the Bible as the 1260 days or 42 months of prophetic time. Mm. Since a day is equal to a year in Bible prophecy, this power was to rule for 1260 years. So God foretold that it would reign supreme and persecute God's obedient children for 1260 years. Mm. So here we have a sweeping history or overview of history from the time of Nebuchadnezzar, more than 600 years before Christ's birth, and continue to the very end of time to the second coming of Jesus. 
So now that we've got a time frame, we know the judgment has to happen in 1798. So we're going to take a break shortly, and we're going to look at when this judgment began yes, and what the judgment's about. Okay. Well, that sounds very interesting, Colin. So we just, uh, to summarize, Daniel chapter 2 talks about the dream of Nebuchadnezzar where he sees this image with different medals, and each of the medals represent different successive kingdoms. Then you have the iron, which represents Rome, but then you get to the feet and the toes, which is partly iron and partly clay. So it's mixed. It's mixed, yes. So you have you know, some partly strong and partly weak kingdoms, but we know that's the western part of the empire that disintegrated under the um, barbarian tribes. And then what you have is that they split into ten kingdoms. And as you said, clearly Daniel chapter 7 that gives us more detail. It says that when the ten kingdoms have risen up, that you actually have this little horn um, growing up amongst them. And then subsequent to the time, time, and half a time, we see there that a little um, the, the dominion of this little horn is actually taken away through the judgment. But also the setting up of the everlasting kingdom, which is Christ's kingdom, happens during the judgment as well. So what, we, what you're saying we're going to look at next is when does the judgment start? Because we have to expect it to happen subsequent to 1798 after the original rule of this little horn power. So, dear listener, we hope that you are finding the study interesting so far. We, if you don't have your Bible with you, grab it, unless you're driving, of course. And we look forward to unpacking to this with you further right after this break. He desires all to be saved. You're listening to the angelic sound of Carly Fletcher, just an average Australian woman who has chosen to use her musical talents to uplift her Lord and King, Jesus Christ. You matter to him. Won't you realize that you really matter to him? Carly's debut album, Follow the Lamb, features gentle acoustic guitar, piano and voice, rich in harmonies and accompanied by various instruments. It's gonna be worth it in the end. To purchase a copy of Follow the Lamb, with all proceeds going to 3ABN Australia, Contact us on 024973-3456 today. We will follow, follow the Dear listener, welcome back. Just before the break, we have gone through the prophecies of Daniel chapter 2 and 7, which explained what was going to happen before the judgment was to commence. And the judgment is the way in which God determines his kingdom, the subjects of his kingdom, and also the way in which Christ receives his kingdom. And that is an everlasting kingdom which we all want to be part of. And we pray that it's your desire to be part of Christ's everlasting kingdom as well. And, of course, an everlasting kingdom comes with everlasting life. So, Colin, we're looking at the, uh, the second part now, which is now actually to determine the time when the judgment was to start. And then we can just look at the process of the judgment, what that means for us while we're here on earth. And perhaps we can also then look at the close of the judgment if we have a few minutes before the end of the program. So it's nice to know that God does nothing first unless he reveals it to his prophets. I just love that in the Bible. Mm. God never does anything unless he reveals it to his prophets what's going to happen. And this is what the prophecies that convinced me there was a God. Before that, I was didn't know. But now I knew that God can predict the future kingdoms mm-hmm. and, and be meticulously accurate And so we just went through, as I said, in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 about these four kingdoms, these ten kingdoms that came out of the fourth kingdom of Rome, a little horn that came out after them, which we identified as 
the Bishop of Rome and the mm. papacy. Yes. And it would rule for 1,260 years. And so we know that that, that finished in 1798 when Bertha, Napoleon's general, marched into Rome and took the Pope, cap, captured the Pope and put him in jail. Mm. And it seemed like that was the end of that. Interesting, there's another prophecy that says that, that he'll rise up again, that he was wounded, which that's means right. that he'll, he'll rise up again. The deadly wound is to be healed. That's it's right. going to be healed. We know mm. that in Revelation chapter 13. Mm. So what happens next is this judgment begins after 1798. Well, we just keep reading the book of Daniel, and it gives us more information. Right. In Daniel chapter uh, 7, it talks 7 verse 9 and 10, all right? It talks about that I watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient days were seated. This is talking about the heavenly father. His garment was white as snow and the hair of the head was pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousands of thousands ministered to him and ten thousand, ten thousand stood before him. And a court was seated and the books were open. And so now we morph into what was the judgment about? Mm. So and when did it begin? And so it talks about also we're going to talk about what's called the cleansing of the sanctuary in the Old Testament. Okay. And this was a symbol of the final work of judgment prior to Christ's second coming. And we can learn from Leviticus chapter 16 what is this cleansing or the Day of Atonement or it's called Yom Kippur, Judgment Day. Yes, yes. And this was a yearly cycle that happened, a day after day, but there was a came to an end of this cycle. Hmm. And so we clearly we can see that there is a judgment that takes place. The question here is, where does this judgment take place? And as we we read before, in Daniel chapter 8, verse 13 and 14, its sanctuary takes place in heaven. Mm. And then he says, how long? And Daniel asked a question back then. Well, how long until this judgment begins and the cleansing of the sanctuary? Because for him, the cleansing of the sanctuary, which was the removal or blotting out of sin, mm out of the Old Testament sanctuary. Every year, the sins of people will be piling up in the sanctuary. You would take your lamb or your goat or your, your dove and, and the blood would be transferred, well, your sins would be transferred to the lamb. The blood would be transferred into the sanctuary and they'll be piling up every day after day. Yes. Then once a year, the high priest would make an atonement for not only the people, but he would make an atonement for the sanctuary. Mm. And so he would cleanse the sanctuary of the record of all the sins of the people. And so when he, he asked this question in Daniel chapter 8, verse 13 and 14, what does it say there? It says, Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices? Now the word sacrifices is added there. And the transgression of desolation and giving both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. So he's saying this, how long? Mm. And then the angel asks and says, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. That's right. So it's clear that God wanted to share with Daniel just when the real Day of Atonement in heaven would begin. So there was obviously an earthly Day mm. of Atonement. But we know that that was an antitype or type to the real type, which was Jesus yes. was the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And then Jesus died on the cross, representing the altar, altar where the lamb was sacrificed. Mm. Um, but there was more to it, the cleansing of the sanctuary. So it's clear that God wanted to share down just when the real day of atonement in heaven would begin, 2,300 days. From, from, but from when? When's the starting point for all this? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Well, if you go on and continue to read, he then talks about, gives you a starting point, 
and talks about this 70 weeks. Yes. The 70 weeks. And he talks about it in verse 24. Mm. Daniel 9 and 22 and 23 and 24. Now, it's interesting in Daniel chapter 8, the vision given there about the 2,300 days, it talks about the whole vision using the word for vision there in the Hebrew as hazon. So it's a complete vision. Complete vision. However, when they refer to the time period in the prophecy, they refer to it as mari, which also means vision. But when the angel Gabriel then comes to Daniel in chapter Daniel chapter nine after he has been praying, look, and saying, asking for understanding, he wants. He's praying, praying, and praying, and, yeah. and God sends an angel and says, "Look, I've come down to give you understanding." Because I mean, the whole idea was that God would set up uh, the children of Israel as an everlasting kingdom. But now he's seen all these visions where it says, "No, it's not going to be the preeminence of Israel." You have Babylon. Followed by Medo Persia, followed by Greece, followed by Rome, and then there's an everlasting kingdom. But how long before God establishes that everlasting kingdom? Because Israel was supposed to be the everlasting kingdom. That's right. So then the, he comes and he says, I've now come to explain and help you understand the vision. And the word for vision in verse 23 of Daniel 9 there is mares. In other words, I've come to explain to you the 2,300 day component of the Hazon, which was the whole vision. Which is what he's praying for. That's right. And now he comes back and gives them. Another time prophecy called the 70 weeks. 70 weeks. Or 490 years, because 70 times 7 is 490, and we That's know right. that it's a day for a year. So it's part of the explanation of Daniel chapter 8, because, right. I mean, Daniel fainted, um, and he was astonished by the vision. He couldn't understand it, you know. It says that he was sick. He fainted and he was sick in the last verse of Daniel chapter 8, and now, sometime afterwards, he now gets the full explanation. That's right. So he comes in the next four verses. Gabriel outlines the fascinating time prophecy, explaining it as he went along. In verse 24, he says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Mm. So that's for who? His people were who? Israel. Yeah. That's and right, holy Judah. city was who? Oh, New Jer- well, Jerusalem, sorry. Yeah, not, not New Jerusalem. The, the old yeah. Jerusalem. Old Jerusalem. Yeah. And also the word determined there is chatak. Yep. And that actually means cut off. So, so they've got, basically you're saying, you guys have got... Seventy weeks, and that's it. Seventy weeks from the two thousand three hundred days, beginning of that time, yeah, which is four hundred and ninety days. Yeah. yeah, to finish, he says, to finish transgression, mm-hmm. to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity or sin, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Mm. So, out of the twenty three hundred day prophecy, part of Daniel's vision in chapter eight. Gabriel said that 70 weeks are termed a word meaning cut off, as you said, That's right. from the longer prophecy of your people, the Jewish nation, mm. the people of Israel. So during the 70 weeks, several things would take place. And so these six tasks would be only fulfilled in and through the work of Jesus, the Messiah. Mm. I mean, who else, for example, could possibly make reconciliation for iniquity or bring in everlasting righteousness? Yes. Now, it's important to know about two keys to understanding of Bible prophecies. First, in Bible prophecy... Literal time periods are often symbol of a much longer time period. A 24-hour day, for example, stands for a year. And you can read that in Numbers chapter 14, verse 34, and Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 6. Mm. And the second important thing to know is that while our years today have 365 days, in Daniel's time, the Jewish year had only 360 days to a year. So applying these two keys, we realize that the 2300 days of Daniel, chapter 8, verse 14, are really 2300 years. Yes. In the same way, the 70 weeks here in Daniel 9, verse 24, are actually 490 years. 70 times 7 equals 490. This means that the first 490 years of the longer 2300 year are cut off or determined for several important things to accomplish. So what did Jesus accomplish? Well, we know it says 
in verse 25, Know therefore understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah Prince, mm-hmm. so he's talking about Jesus, yes. there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So how much is that? 69 weeks. Yeah. yeah. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome time. So the first 69 weeks of the 70-week prophecy began with the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Mm. So if we can learn when the command was given, when did this command start, we'll have the starting date for both the 70 weeks prophecy and the longer prophecy of the 2300 That's right, yeah. from which the beginning of the 70 weeks was cut off. And history tells us exactly when this command was decreed. Mm. This decree described in Ezra chapter 7, verse 13 to 26, was sent out by the Persian king Artaxerxes in the year 457 BC. Right. So now, I know there's some controversy over that Mm. in uh, Ezra, but sometimes it's easy to confuse the date or dates of this prophecy because there were two other decrees in Ezra. Mm -hmm. The first we find in Ezra 1. This decree is missing a vital point of prophecy. It only decrees the building of the temple, not Jerusalem. That's correct. That's a huge difference. Mm. The other decree found in Ezra 6, this decree, like the first one, only talks about the temple. Mm. The third decree in chapter 7 of the, is the right decree. This decree not only talks of, about the temple, but also the restoring of the law of God. And this third decree is the last decree. The temple is finished. Also, when you look at Ezra 9, chapter 9, verse 9, you read that the walls of Jerusalem were to be rebuilt. It was to restore everything. That's right. So, see, Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 clearly says that it'll be, um, you know, till beside the prince. And the beginning there is when the streets shall be built and the walls, even in troublesome times. So the walls had to be included in the decree to make it come into effect, to give you the starting time. Now, if anyone wants, um, you know, complete Bible studies, just contact 3ABN. They've got Bible studies that can go right into this yes. and show the correct dates and give you more information. Mm. We haven't got too much time to go right through all that. But That's right. basically, we, we've discovered that it's Ezra chapter 7, verse 13 and 26, that the starting point, according to history, started in 457 BC. Mm. Well, if we go there and do the 69 weeks and we take it from 457 BC, and remember, when you go BC, there's zero. There's no such thing as zero BC. That's, yeah. So when you've got BC1 and you've got AD1, you have to skip over and give it a year there. Right. Yeah. So when we take the 69 weeks, guess where it ended? In the year 27 AD. And what happened in A.D. 27? Notice that in verse 27 it says the Messiah would confirm or begin his covenant with many for one week. Mm. History shows us that Jesus began his ministry at his baptism in the year 27 A.D. It was in the 15th year of Tiberius, which was 27 A.D. Everything just lines up. It's just amazing. Yes. Now, again, right, it also says there... uh, it says also the system of sacrifices and offerings, as we've earlier seen, was part of the desert sanctuary when the symbol met the reality of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. He says, in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice. So what's the middle of a week? How well, many it's, days? It's three and a half days. So that's three and a half years. Yeah. Jesus' ministry, when he started in 27 AD, went for three and a half years. Mm. In the middle of a week in this seven-year prophecy, it says the Messiah was cut off. Yes, so three and a half years from 27 AD will take you to 31 AD. And when did Jesus die on the cross? Well, again, history shows us that he died in the year AD 31, 31. precisely in the middle of the week, Mm. as predicted by this prophecy. Remember, Remember, too, that verse 26 said that Jesus would be cut off somewhere after the 69th week. Mm. And what about reconfirming the covenant with many for one week? 
This refers to the period of time that Jesus focused efforts primarily on the people of Israel. Yes. First three and a half years. He says, I go to Israel first. Mm. But with the stoning of Stephen in AD 34, right, AD 34, which the gospel mission now went out to the Gentiles, which was the non-Jews. That is the entire world. Because after that, there was persecution and the gospel went out to the Gentiles. That's right. So we know that the 70 weeks finished in AD 34 at the stoning of Stephen. So now that we have a starting point and we know history confirms that Jesus was baptized in 27 AD, Jesus was crucified in AD 31, and Stephen was stoned in AD 34, that covers the 70 weeks prophecy for Israel. Now we look at the 2300-year prophecy, and when we look at that starting at 457 BC, guess that where it takes you to? 1844. 1844. 1844. These, a message from God, these three angels' messages that begins that judgment has began. Absolutely. That started in 1844. Yeah. Well, that, there's an angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to present to every person that dwells on the earth, every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come. So this is announcing the beginning, the start of the judgment hour, which is... The fulfillment of the prophecy given to Daniel in Daniel chapter 8, verse 14. So we've got the starting date. Yep. We know exactly the time period that was cut off, the 490 days of the 2,300 days. So the 70 weeks prophecy 70 brings weeks. you to AD yep. 34. You know exactly what happens. We can see that Messiah the Prince started in AD 27. At his baptism. At his baptism. He was then cut off in the middle of the week at 31 AD. Yep. And then, of course, we know that the dispersion of the church happened in 34 AD when persecution broke loose. And it started with the stoning of Stephen. And shortly after that, of course, James was martyred as well. And then the message goes out to the Gentiles. So that time for Israel was cut off. Hmm. Exactly what, you know, the angel told Daniel. Yeah. Which was 70 weeks appointed for your people. That's right. Which was Israel. And that gives us confidence that when we get to the time, 1844, nothing happened here on earth that was anything significant on earth as, as, as per se. But by faith, we know if the first part of the prophecy is correct in regards to the 70 weeks. We've got to know that what happened in heaven at the end of the 2,300-day prophecy is also highly significant and 100% accurate. So, so we want to discover what actually is the sanctuary, what needs to be cleansed in the sanctuary. And what did the high priest do? Mm. And how this relates to Jesus as our high priest in heaven, because Hebrews says that Jesus is our high priest. That's right. And that he is in the heavenly sanctuary. Mm. So what is Jesus doing in the heavenly sanctuary, this work of judgment, this cleansing of the sanctuary? Because we've now, by step by step, established that the 2300 days years ended in the year 1844. And we also know that this message goes out in Revelations chapter 14, verse 6 to 12. The three angels' message, which begins with the everlasting gospel and judgment begins, mm. which is the cleansing of the sanctuary, or this priesthood. And so this means that since that time, Jesus, our high priest, has been ministering his shed blood in the great courtroom seen in heaven. Because remember, in Daniel 7, it says, after the little horn um, power, which finished in 1798, yes. 
it says the judgment would begin. And so Jesus has been ministering in the heavenly sanctuary. When his work is done, the sanctuary will be cleansed and he will return to earth at his second coming. And so what is it that needs to be cleansed in the heavenly sanctuary? What was cleansed in the earthly sanctuary? Right. Well, look, the confessed sins of God's people flood into the sanctuary, and we clu- including the, the courtyard, the holy and the most holy of the sanctuary. The, they came and confessed their sins, and then the blood was uh, put on the horns of the altar. Uh, so obviously they confessed their sins over the, the, the goat or the, the sheep or whoever it was, so the animal, that you know, sacrificial animal, and then it was killed by them. And then, of course, the blood was then ministered by the high priest. But their sins were confessed, and in a sense, it defiled the sanctuary. So the sanctuary had to be cleansed, and then that sin was taken away on the Day of Atonement, so on the annual services, because we've got the daily services, which we just described. But the annual service, which is the Day of Atonement, the sins would then be transferred out of the sanctuary onto the scapegoat. Now, the scapegoat doesn't actually get Executed, it doesn't get sacrificed. It gets led by a fit man into the wilderness, away from everybody, and there it ends up dying. And we know that that's a symbol for what happens at the last days when God actually cleanses a sanctuary, and then those sins are actually placed on the scapegoat. So what's happening is just like the earthly sanctuary, as we repent of our sins, mm. okay, uh, repent of our sins. Jesus has taken his the Lamb of God yes. took upon our sins mm. upon Himself, okay. And that went, then he went into the heavenly sanctuary. So the record of our sins is in the heavenly sanctuary. So Jesus wants to remove, blot out, and remove these sins that's from correct. the heavenly sanctuary. Because mm. that's when the, and when he's completed that ministry, it's done. He comes back mm. to take his people home. And then who is the instigator of sin? Who instigated sin? Well, Satan is the instigator. So he's, he's the Sat- father of lies, and Sa- he's a murderer from the beginning. The Bible says so. He's so. responsible for all this. Mm. So that's why when he removes the sins out of the heavenly sanctuary, they're put on the Scapegoat. Yes. All right. Who is responsible and he's led out into the wilderness. Isn't mm. it interesting that if you look in the book of Revelation, it says that Satan, when Jesus returns, it says like an angel grabs him, all right, and he is left on this earth for a thousand years, desolate for a thousand years. That's right, yeah. And then God takes his people back to heaven. So the cleansing of sanctuary is the removing, the blotting out of the record of God's people's sins. So I don't know about you, Eddie, but I want my sins to be in the heavenly sanctuary, and eventually I'd like them to Absolutely. be blotted out. You don't want to be, be holding on to them yourself, do you? Absolutely. And yeah. so we've got to confess them. And the Lord said that he is faithful and just if we confess, not only to forgive but also to cleanse. So when does this finish? When does Jesus finish this, this mediatory work? Okay. When does it actually finish? Does it happen before he comes back? Or does it happen exactly like one minute before he comes back, uh, returns from heaven to take his people back? When does he finish this? Okay. Uh, ministry. Well, we know that the whole process, God wants to come and deliver his people. But before that happens, there is something that is called the seven last plagues that are poured out, which is the wrath of God and is poured out on the beast power, on the Antichrist, yep. and also the people who receive the mark of the beast. So it's, it's poured on all the wicked on this earth. That's it right. says the seven last plagues are poured out. That's and right. we know when that seven plagues come, obviously that has to come after judgment. That's correct. Uh, some people know this as the closer probation, it's called. Mm. So what happens then? Uh, what happens? Okay. Well, let's look at it. Let's go to Revelation chapter 15. Yep. And we'll just look at some of the sequences of the events there. We're going to put a couple of texts together because Revelation obviously uses repeat and enlarge as well. Yep. And we'll look at Revelation 15 and verse 5. And it says, After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony 
in heaven was opened. So is that the most holy place? That is the most holy, yeah, because the tabernacle of the testimony, yeah. the, the way we know that is we can go to uh, Revelation chapter 11 and verse 19 where we have the same sequence. Okay. And the detail given there says, Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of the covenant was seen in his temple. So where's the ark of the covenant kept in the, on the earthly sanctuary? It was in the most holy. So obviously Jesus has, since 1844, has entered into this ministry in the most holy place mm. which is the work of judgment and cleansing of the century that's right so the daily service only took the blood and the ministry of the priest into the holy place yep the the, the work in the most holy place only happened once a year and that was on the day of atonement and judgment so, which is judgment and cleansing of the sanctuary or removing all the sins in the in the sanctuary completely removing so what happens in revelation 11 okay so in, in revelation chapter 11 we now see that the temple of god is opened and the ark of the covenant scene it means that we've now moved from the holy to the most holy place yep. and this is the beginning of the judgment and that happened in 1844 that happened in 1844 so revelation chapter 11 mm-hmm. and verse 19 is referring to that when that doors opened and you know Thrones were set in place and the ancient Danes seat was seated and then Christ came to him on the clouds of heaven and they brought him very near to the Father. According to Daniel chapter 7 where it says Correct. in this time sequence that happened after this 1260-year mm. little horn which happened after 1798. And according to the 2300-day prophecy, that happened in 1844. So Jesus began this work. So when does it finish? Right. Okay. Now that's a good question. So I just want to take one more text there because it says there that you know after the temple in heaven was opened in Revelation chapter 15 and verse 5, it says, Out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues, and they were clothed with clear bright linen and having on their chest a golden band. And then it says in verse 8, it says, The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple. Okay, so there's no more work taking place in the temple. So we can't even enter the temple through prayer now till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So, so obviously it, this happens just before the seven plagues are poured out, according to that Bible verse. So that means That's that Jesus right. is going to complete his ministry mm. of mediation ministry and every decision is made then. And so... Isn't there a text in Revelations 22 that confirms what, what, what the decree is? That's right. There is a decree before Christ finishes his high priestly ministry that no one may enter. There's a, what they call the sealing that takes place. Yep. And the, the word used for sealing there we see in Revelation chapter 22, verse 11, where it talks about those who are sealed, who are unjust, they remain unjust. It says, but he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. But then the good news, he who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. So we are sealed either for good or for evil. We're sealed either for salvation or for destruction. Okay. And it's the same way that, you know, we look at Noah. Jesus says regarding his coming, he says, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Yep. Now, Noah was sealed in the ark. God closed the door. The angel That's of right. God closed Seven the door. Seven days before the rain. And what happened is they were sealed in the ark. They couldn't get out anymore. And then the wicked were sealed outside. And they couldn't get in. And they couldn't get in. But it took another seven days before it started raining. And for destruction to take place, for the flood to come and to destroy them all. Now, I want to go to Revelation chapter 8, and I just want to use some of the parallel text that talks about the same event where you can no longer enter the, the most holy part of the heavenly sanctuary, even by prayer, until the seven plagues are poured out. We read this in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1. Then he opened the seven seals, and there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So what does the silence represent? We're going to keep on reading. 
We read verse 3 there of Revelation 8. Then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints. Now, we know there's only one mediator. We know that the high priest, the mediator, mediates for us is Jesus Christ. Yes. So this angel represents Christ, and he mediates the prayers of the saints with his golden censer. Now, verse 4 says, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascend before God from the hand of the angel. So this angel mediates the prayers, and the incense represents his righteousness. So he, he places his righteousness on the prayers and perfects them and gives them to the Father. So when the Father receives the prayers of the saints, they've come from the hand of the angel. So the incense ascending with the prayers of Israel, or spiritual Israel, of God's people, represents the merits and intercession of Christ. That's right. His perfect righteousness which through faith is imputed to his people and which can alone make the worship of sinful beings acceptable to mm. God. So Amen. this is, this is um, what's happening here. So okay, then what so, happens next? So we see there the ongoing intercession and mediation of Jesus Christ. But when we get to verse 5, we see yeah. that it ends. It, it ends. When because does it what, end? It says, Then the angel, so this is Christ, took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. So the censer is no longer being used. The prayers are no longer being received and perfected. That work is done, and when he throws it to the earth, uh, we can see there that the seven seven trumpets are prepared to sound. And the seven trumpets are actually parallel to the seven last plagues as well, because we can read there that first trumpet, vegetation is struck, second trumpet, the seas are struck, the third trumpet, the waters are struck, yep. the fourth trumpet, the heavens are struck, and so forth. And then you have the locusts from the bottom, the spit there. These are symbolism. There's a there's a dual application, which we don't have time to go so into bottom, right so now. So bottom line, Ian, what's happening is Jesus is mediating. Yes. Our prayers are going up, our confessions. But then he's going to finish it. He finishes. He finishes right. it in Revelation 22. He then a decision is made decision in is judgment made. in favor of the saints. That's right. So those who are just and righteous remain righteous, mm. and those who are filthy and unjust remain filthy and unjust, and there's no more changing sides. That's right. And yeah. so that's finished. So that works is finished, and then the seven plagues are poured out. That's right. So obviously there's going to be a time when Jesus finishes his work as a mediator, mm. a time uh that before Jesus returns during the seven plagues. That's right. Yeah. But so all decisions are made. So therefore, if your decisions are made that you're righteous, you're, you remain righteous. Correct. So we don't have to worry, do we? That's right. We, we are made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. It says that, you know, the 144,000 washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The Father's name on them. And they had the Father's name written in their forehead. And these were the ones that were sealed because, you know, the, the angels were to let loose the winds of strife. And then an angel says, stop, don't do it. An angel descending from the east saying, don't do it until... All God's servants are sealed in their foreheads. And is that what Peter's talking about in Acts chapter 3 when he talks about, in Acts chapter 3, where Peter talks about... Verse 19, that's right, yes. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, where Peter's talking about this this, uh, process. And he says there in verse 19, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. So he's Mm. talking about obviously Jesus as our high priest. So that the times of refreshing may come, and we know that's talking about the latter rain, from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before. So mm. there's a sequence again, isn't there? That's Repent, right. Repent, be converted, that your sins will be blotted out when Jesus removes or blots out or cleanses our sins, the record of them in the heavenly sanctuary. So the times of refreshing may come. That's the latter rains poured out. And then Jesus returns. Mm. Amen. Colin, we'll just take a quick break there to share our contact details with our listener, and we'll be right back after the short message. Stay tuned. Thank you for joining us on You Shall Receive Power. If you would like more information about today's program, or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio. 
by phoning 0249 73 3456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Dear listener, we pray that you were blessed by the study. We pray that you would actually continue to study for yourselves as well to see how these things come together in the Scripture. And we pray that God will bless you until we meet again next time. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.